Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance podcast. My name is Sarah. And I'm Bree, and joining us today on the podcast, we have special guest author Wendy Warren. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, Tell us how 2021 has been for you and how you've been taking care of yourself this year. Yeah, thank you so much for having me today. Um, So 2021, I think it's been like... Like most people's 2021, I imagine it's been a mix of the the very difficult and then the the very blessed. I think when things you know challenge your spirit, they can absolutely strengthen your relationships and strengthen your soul. And I think that's how it's been for me. I've done a lot of zooming with friends, and um, once it became safer and we were all vaccinated, vacations resuming vacations with friends, which is my happy spot. A um, lot of exercise. I broke my arm twice in 2021. Oh so going to, you know, <laughs> finding different ways to exercise and meditate and, and just really taking more time, realizing how important it is just to focus, to be where I am and really focus on people and, and my dogs. <laughs> I, I think these last maybe four or five months, I have just, I, I don't know, my, my birthday is in November and I think it's like turning 35, which I have been freaking out about. It's the okay, only no. age. No, Sarah I'm knows like. No, no, no. You don't get to do that, my friend. At 30, okay. 40, okay. I, I tell Sarah this all the time. 47 is the age I want to be, but for some reason, 35 <laughs> freaks me out. And, Wait. but th- these past like five months, I've just been like, you need to be more present and put the phone yep. down. And, you know, I'm just ready to just celebrate this new, <laughs> this new age I'm about to hit. But it like, it scares me. It scares me. It's the only age I've been afraid of. <laughs> 35, I can tell you from experience, if I can remember that far back, that yeah. 35 was awesome. 35, 30s are great. And, and the 40s, I will say the 40s are fabulous, but I need to dial this back. Why 47? I don't know. I just, I, it has always been this. I just imagine if I ever make it to that age, I just, I don't know. I think I have it made up in my mind that I'm going to just be like the happiest I've ever been at 47. (laughs) I I don't know. Maybe I'll be traveling the world. I don't know, but I'm just, I just have all, even in my twenties, I'm like, I can't wait to be 47. Like I just, I I love that. (laughs) I love that. And I shouldn't, since you can't see me, I really shouldn't cop to anything. I, I like I get a free pass, but I'll, I'll do it anyway. Fifty was the bomb. I have to tell yeah. you, how yeah. is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Well, 40, no. I loved forty. Me, I'm loving my forties. Say that again. I'm loving my forties. Oh, mm-hmm. awesome! Mm-hmm. My gosh, neither of you look forty because I saw you earlier. Neither of you look forty. Bless your heart. <laughs> I, won't, I will not tell you what I just turned because. Yeah, no. <laughs> what would you say has been a lesson that you have learned as you've progressed through the ranks, you know, that you're very thankful that you finally learned that lesson? Oh, what good questions. You have so many things, of course, but I think I think the best thing I've learned is that the most important thing is wholeness, that I don't that I feel authentic that I'm authentic in my relationships, authentic in my career, authentic in my life in general. I love that. I love it. Thank you for sharing that with us. Well, the wisdom of my age, you know. 
<laughs> so if you could go back and tell 20 something Wendy, what would you tell her? Relax, sweetie. Yeah. Chill out. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Just relax. What's going to happen is what's going to happen. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wait, no, is that true? No, I'm kidding. Yes. That's <laughs> <true>. <laughs> Does it always have to happen? Yeah. Right? Does it have to Can we make it not happen? <laughs> so let's get into some icebreaker questions. If you came with a warning label, what would it say? I think it would say danger curves ahead because of like you know, like like most of our lives, mine has been a surprising series of twists and turns. But I'll tell you, if if you asked my daughters this question, they would say, Look out, she's correcting your grammar. I have a friend like that who will literally go up to posters, like if there's something in a store, and the gr- she'll take a black marker out and correct the grammar on a poster in a store. What's like wrong? she is that much, yeah. <laughs> She's doing them a solid. She's doing them yeah, a right. <laughs> What was your first job? Oh, gosh, my first, well, I, I grew up in the restaurant business with my family, so I worked in the restaurants on and off, but I think my first what I would consider my real job, <laughs> this is very pathetic. It was gift wrapping. And if there is anyone out there whose gift I wrapped and you're still alive, I want to apologize <laughs> to you. I am the world's worst gift wrapper. I'm not, I'm, I'm actually a little crafty, but I can't wrap a gift. Mm-hmm, and it was a, hor- it was a horrible job for me. Horrible. Mm-hmm. And I think they all realize that. <laughs> I have tried to watch YouTube videos on it. I'm like, I just did. Nobody taught me growing up. And you think, Mm -hmm. oh, it's easy, right? You just put the paper on and put some tape. But there's like all this folding in certain ways. And I'm like, nope, I can't do it. I'm sorry. (laughs) Measurements and things. And yeah, I'm gift bags. Oh, yes. Thank you. You're like the best. (laughs) What is the best purchase you've treated yourself to this year? flowers flowers and a canopy for our patio you know like like everybody else i just went we're home home depot and i started mm-hmm. buying things and my the my front yard is now just a profusion still even though i i live in oregon and we're you know we're heading into the very cold weather now and the uh, windy weather but i still have my coleus and my begonias and mm-hmm. oh it's just it's it, i love it i love looking at it it makes me so happy what was the last song to get stuck in your head it's anything my husband is singing and I I think he does it to me on purpose because he'll start singing weird like show tunes and things from you know tv shows and the Adams Family theme song I think was the last one and then all day long (laughs) was he watching the show or did he was he just singing it no, he just sings them. And I think he does it. He, he once spent an entire evening playing like little snippets, like he was doing Name That Tune with okay. me. But he thought like this is a great date night for him. He plays little snippets of TV theme songs and then turns it off and goes, what was it? What was it? What was it? And I, and I have to, you know, guess and like for an hour. <laughs> He keeps you on your toes. I like it. I like it. <laughs> what is one of your guiltless pleasures? Vacations with my my girlfriends. Um, 
ostensibly they're writing vacations and and but we talk books we talk writing we talk life and oh I I come away so full and they are just yeah they're they're the first people I met in my writing life in Oregon when I moved to Oregon and and we're you know still best friends to this day after I don't know a couple few decades and it's just yeah a delight to be with them what is one thing you find yourself nostalgic for um I find myself nostalgic for my family. I actually, even though I I said the 30s are great, and I do think the 30s are a great time of life, I lost most of my immediate family in my 30s. And I find myself, especially as I get older, just longing for those easy, fun times. They were characters. They were just great. They're just delightful. And they show up in my books all the time in, in a variety of different ways. So I still get to hang with them sometimes, but um, yeah, they were like, it was like being in a sitcom with them. I, I think that myself, we lost my dad last January and, oh, uh, sorry. and I just, you know, you just want to go back even just a few years, yeah. you know, before. Yeah. And, and it's like, and like you said, he was a character. Oh my God. He was a character. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that great when they leave you with those memories? Oh, gosh. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I always think about how just I wish my granddad would call me one more time on FaceTime. It was always so funny to see this older gentleman from this older generation. He didn't even call it FaceTime. It was like time face. And I'm like... (laughs) granddad that's not what it's called you know that is so great yeah just to laugh like one more time at just seeing this clash of like generations yeah (laughs) just so that is the most adorable thing that people who are older kind of mess up the names of things yeah Yeah. I I should really be quiet because my daughter got a job at cafe yum and I kept saying how's yummy cafe Well, we love to hear romance origin stories. So will you share with us how you became a romance reader? Yeah. Oh, this is like um, Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. So (laughs) when I was about, I think I was probably 14 or 15, my mother's best friend's co-worker's sister was Laurie McBain. Are you you too young to remember Laurie McBain and the, the original Avon ladies? The name, it rings a bell to me. Yeah. So Kathleen Woodowis and Rosemary Rogers and Lori McBain, they okay. really gave such a push to romance and the romance. They were writing historicals and Lori McBain, the story went, and of course this is like third person or something, bought, was able to buy a house in Carmel, California after writing her romance novels. And I want to say she bought a house for her parents or something and I had always wanted to do that, even in, when I was 15. And I thought, oh, okay, I need a piece of this action. I need to, I need to see what she's writing. <laughs> and my mom and I, be, we were given a copy of her book, and we began to just devour romance novels after that. Moved on to Harlequin, you know. Oh, you did it with your mom? Oh, yeah. Oh, very much. Yeah, that she was so an inveterate sweet. reader, really instilled the love. Of, I mean, some of my cuddliest memories are still, I can still get a visceral response when I pick up a children's book that she read to me that I then read to my kids. Yeah. I just, Mm -hmm. she instilled such a love of reading and story. And she was my, absolutely my best fan. She read everything I wrote way more than I ever read it. 
<laughs> that is so special. I'm so happy that you have that. Yeah. Thanks, me too. From what we were able to find online, it looks like in 1993, you released Mr. Wright as part of the romance line. What was the world of romance publishing like at the time when you were entering into it? It was so different from the way it is now. It was a much smaller pond. You know, it was um, it was more manageable in many ways. Um, once you found your footing, or at least I felt this way, you know, it was easy to hang on to it. There was guaranteed shelf space. It was, there, there was a sense of um, predictability, I think, about the career itself. But um, in terms of the content, we were much more limited. You know, there wasn't a lot of diversity. There was no emphasis on own voices the way there is today. I really, I, I love what we can do today. It's interesting as reading readers now. Um, I didn't come to romance until 2017, but I have this fascination with older stuff. And mm -hmm. it's just so interesting to go into books from a specific time, knowing that in a lot of cases, this was kind of it, <laughs> you know, whereas yeah. now it's yeah. so huge. So, right. Yeah. Because we all, we've always had reader expectations, right. For genre fiction, but oh, the sure. expectations have changed. They've expanded. Yeah. And that's a really beautiful thing for for writers and for readers. So when you yeah. were entering into this space and it was very kind of limited um, in a way, did it feel as though you had to write a specific thing or did you still feel like I have the freedom to really write whatever it is that I want? Um, it was a little bit of both, but I would say primarily I, in, I wanted to be published. Mm -hmm. That was my goal with the first book. And so I knew that there were expectations that had to be met and boundaries. I couldn't really step outside. I remember that I wanted a heroine who wasn't necessarily stick thin. Um, and I, I wanted um, somebody, you know, a little different, a little more like me. And so I, I, rem I, I don't remember Mr. Wright very well, to be honest, but what I do mm -hmm. remember was that at one point the heroine was leaning over the kitchen counter, binging on white food because I thought white food was so comforting, you know, cream of wheat and whipped cream and ice cream and stuff. Mm -hmm. So she was <laughs> leaning over the counter binging because she was uh, very emotional. And that in that way, I could push it a little bit. But um, there were lots of things I wanted to write about that, you know, would get um, kind of shunted to the side for a while. So at the time, what was it about the romance line that made it perfect for the stories that you wanted to tell? Well, you're going back to my mom. We watched old movies together and um, a lot of Frank Capra, you know, a lot of um, just a lot of delightful, the kind of movies that make you feel very warm and cozy and TV shows. I love Lucy, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I loved that in, in some ways, these books, because they were contemporary, not, um, you know, there was no one was a Viking, no one was off, you know, sailing the seven seas and having great adventures outside. They were having inner adventures. And I love that. That's my favorite thing to write. And my favorite kind of book to read really is that internal adventure that we have when we look for what we're yearn yearning for, you know, mm -hmm. when we're trying to, to really manifest that thing we want more than anything else. And in, in the case of romance, somebody else in our lives, right? To witness our whole lives. 
to be there to see it. We witnessed their lives. So you had ordinary people whose lives became extraordinary, not because of their adventures, but be, their external adventures, but because of what they were seeking in inside and, and in another human being. So before Sarah goes on to the next one, I have to ask, how what was your journey to becoming published like? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm, I'm going to tell you it was crazy easy. It was. Okay. <laughs> um, it really, really was. I, I, I was working for Brentano's bookstore, the late great Brentano's, and people would come in and buy like six Harlequins or silhouette romances at a time. And I thought, wow, I got to read these. Uh, you know, I've got to, I, I wonder if I could write one of these. And so I targeted Harlequin. I dissected the books and figured out what they did want and what they didn't. And then I just let her rip within those confines and sent it in and, you know, sold the book. And I, it was, I didn't realize at the time how hard it really was, you know, how, how competitive it actually was at the time. It, it just, um, you know, found an editor who, who is actually now a, a very well-known author, Wendy Corsi Staub. And, um, and just, you know, moved on from there. It was just really um, surprisingly a great fit. I love that. Crazy easy. Yeah. <laughs> it can happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's selling the second one is harder. Throughout the 90s, you published titles under the romance line. And in 2002, you released Dakota Bride and the Oldest Virgin in Oakdale. Now, was special edition at the time under silhouette when you were, when you started with them? It was. It was. I the oldest, so. Yeah. The oldest virgin in Oakdale was actually still part of the romance line. I think Dakota Bride was my first um, okay. Okay. special. Yeah. Okay. okay. So what inspired the choice to begin writing for, like, essentially, in a way, a different publisher? Well, it was actually, it was the same publisher. Mm -hmm. um, and it was the, really, I, I had, um, I wanted to, it, I think writing became for me like, like wearing clothes that were getting too tight, working for the, um, the silhouette romance line. I wanted to do a deeper book. I wanted to get into some more subplot. I wanted to really get into the characters' um, lives in a way that I couldn't do because we had some confines with, you know, word count and just mm -hmm. uh, expectations. And I, I, I wanted a richer book. I wanted to do a book about um, a heroine who was suffering from agoraphobia. And uh, I could do that in the special edition line. And Dakota Bride became that book. Yeah, they're, they're a longer, I, I always preferred the special editions. They're a bit longer, a little mm -hmm. bit more story, more mm -hmm. back characters, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. And these days with special edition, there's almost a little bit of a single title feel, like more of a, a women's fiction feel to some of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, still and, always romance, but yeah. Yeah. And they're longer, but they're not too long. They're just not yes. the right length. I don't yeah. know if that makes sense, yeah. but it does. Yeah. <laughs> so at the time, so did you, as a writer, did, once you got in with writing for special edition, did you immediately pick up on kind of the differences uh, between the two series writing wise? Well, my, um, my editor at the time, Linda Kernan actually called me and asked if I wanted to write for special and, mm -hmm. um, Honestly, I think it was just such a good fit that the the difference, I was already writing the differences. And I think it was just a matter of then putting me where I, I could, you know, I, I, 
it was like like taking a flower and putting it in the right pot so it can really bloom and grow. Mm-hmm. I think it was more uh, along those lines. Okay. Yeah. I'm having a moment here because I hear silhouette romance and I know Harlequins always had romance. Mm-hmm. There weren't I mean, two that's separate where I things, confused. were they? But I've seen silhouette romance too before on something and I'm like, was there a, a separate line? Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah I'm yes. staring at my silhouette romance shelf. That is yeah. so weird. <laughs> yeah. Because Harlequin's yeah. romance has been around for, you know, since Jesus and the disciples, I feel like sometimes right. it's been around forever. <laughs> <Right>. so, <laughs> Sarah always says like, it's the, the longest running line, but it is, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. But yeah, I found the silhouette romance there, there, there is a difference. Like if you, I always say this, if you took the covers off and read them, I feel like if you've been a longtime reader of them, you do notice a difference. The silhouette mm-hmm. romances to me felt like they had a bit more of a sweeter element to it. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. they felt a little shorter, but they were just so delightful and so sweet. And like, it's almost like the gateway series. Like if you had, um, you know, a teenage daughter who was 12 or 13 or 14, you could easily hand her one of those and you know, it would be a quote unquote safe read. Does that make sense? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. I think it was it's more like um, like watching Friends on TV or Mayberry, you know, it's, it's more of like community, lots of community and warmth and coziness. And yeah. 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 They were delightful. Yeah, they were. So this December, you're publishing your first title since 2017. Is that correct? That is. That is good. Good you. I would have had to really think about that. Yeah. Congratulations and welcome back. Um, can you share with us what Moonlight, Menorahs, and Mistletoe is about? Yes. So um, my amazing editors, Susan Littman and... Um, Hi, and Susan. We're huge Susan fans. Yes, <laughs> we are. Okay. I have to tell you, maybe you know this about her, but that woman can make me fall off my seat laughing from her emails <laughs> alone. She is... Oh, I love her. So, And I love Gail Chasen, too. And they, they wanted a Hanukkah book. So they asked me if I uh, could write a Hanukkah book. And I, you know, I was thinking about, okay, well, what is Hanukkah? It's about a tyrant who tries and fails to mm-hmm. wipe out Judaism. But, you know, what's, what's the holiday really? It, it really reminds us to appreciate and to protect our uniqueness, you know, not to let anybody homogenize us or, or minimize our lives out of fear. And mm-hmm. the characters in this book, they made mistakes, had, um, had some really painful, painful losses. One, the heroine has, has an issue that she considers a secret and they've been really afraid to, to love fully, just let go and, and, and fall in love. The risk is too terrifying. So I really thought about melding their story with the Hanukkah story. You know, how do you bring that light into your life? How do you say, damn the torpedoes, no matter what's happened, I'm living this one life I've got and I'm living it as me, you know, and I wanted them to be able to find that strength in each other to empower each other to do that. Okay. Cause that sounds just so wonderful. Mm-hmm. They, Miss Susan, she approaches, she, she reaches out and she's like, we want this. How did you go from that conversation to this book that I'm like, now, when the heck does it come out so I can get my copy? <laughs> How do we go from there? Because that sounds incredible. 
So mm-hmm. I'll tell you another thing about Susan. I knew coming back, <laughs> Susan is one of the toughest editors in that if it's good, she's got to make it better. It, ha- it she, she has said to me, and I can't, I think she said it on this book, make me laugh and cry on the same page. And you're always like, Susan, <laughs> what? I'll get you on that. <laughs> she's the best, you know, she, she goes deep. And, mm-hmm. and so working with Susan, I just find that I, I, I want to dig deeper, mm-hmm. you know, and, and also that was the beauty of coming back at this moment in time is that that's what special edition is doing. That's what they want, you know? And so they, I think they're really challenging the writers to give the readers stories about us, about our lives. Our lives aren't easy, but they sure can be beautiful. And, yeah. and that's, I think what it's, what it's really about is stepping away from a book as a reader. At least this is what I love as a reader to step away and say, somebody saw me, somebody yeah. understands what it's like to be human in this world right now. I love knowing that I'm what I, whatever I'm reading, somebody else read the same page. We probably both laughed. Somebody else read the same page. We probably both cried. And to be a writer and to think, okay, on this page, maybe somebody will walk away feeling what I was feeling. It's a daily sense of community as I'm writing. And it just feels so cool to be able to do that, you know, and and to, you know, to have it be my job. Wow. (laughs) So let's get into some writing questions that we have for you. Early bird or night owl, what time of day do you feel the most productive with writing? Definitely. I, I feel most productive with everything in the morning. So de- okay. definitely morning. At, at night, I'm just watching the Great British Bake Off. <laughs> <laughs> Is that your comfort watch? That's your comfort oh, watch. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> I have never watched that. But if, you are, if you're into like cooking shows and stuff like that, I've been watching this show called The Lost Kitchen. And the the owner of the restaurant actually I found her because I was sent her memoir which is also called The Lost Kitchen but it's set in Maine and the restaurant's only I mean she it's only open for like six months out of the year because they really prioritize using fresh Maine ingredients so you're getting to see the fishermen and um, the, the people getting the crabs and stuff like that and the farmers you know bringing in peaches and all these beautiful ingredients and it has become such a comfort watch for me you guys it's filmed <laughs> beautifully and you get to see really how COVID has impacted these small businesses wow. so mm-hmm. yeah it, it's called The Lost Kitchen. I just want everybody to go watch it. And I will also be watching The Great British Bake Off now because Wendy yeah. Warren's been watching it. And <laughs> if she thinks it's awesome, then I need to go watch it. So. Susan Littman's <laughs> been watching it too. <laughs> and I have to tell you now, my husband's really mad at you because now I'm going to start binge watching The Lost Kitchen. That sounds amazing. <laughs> you so had good. me at Maine when you said it yes. was set in Maine. Yes. Yes. Yep. Are you a plotter or a pantser? I'm a pantser with plotter aspirations. <laughs> or I should say plotter envy. Um, you know, I mean, I have to write a, an outline, right? Or a synopsis anyway of the book. So you'd think I'd stick to it, but no. No. Yeah, no. Have you always been, you know, how did you figure out which method was best for you? Did you just kind of naturally mm-hmm. were like, oh, I'm a pantser. This, this works best for me. Mm-hmm. 
No, you know, I didn't. I just, I kept pantsing and <laughs> thinking, <laughs> and I'd go back to pantsing and I think, for crying out loud, Wendy, plot something. And then I <laughs> don't do, I don't stick to it. I don't know. Yeah, we're, Sarah and I are in the very beginning stages of attempting to write and she's very much a plotter and she gets frustrated because she's like I'm doing too much plotting the book's going to be just written, written and I'm a pantser yeah. right I'm more of a pantser and I envy her like at least you have everything mapped out like I have no idea what I'm doing <laughs> but that is so exciting so you're, you're not writing together you're writing individually correct yes. yeah uh, and for category yes don't know yeah maybe <laughs> we, huh. just, we, we have lines we'd love to be in but I don't even oh, know God, yeah. where my I don't even know where my story is going. So who yeah. knows? <laughs> oh my gosh. Now I want to turn around and interview you two. <laughs> I wrote a scene the other day at the coffee shop and I had to celebrate it. I was like, I freaking wrote a scene. <laughs> I messaged Yay. Sarah. I was like, I don't yeah. know what's happening next, but I did this. And that's what that's matters. Okay. Celebrate every scene. Celebrate it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the hardest part is getting started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That 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 yeah. was so hard for me. Like I mm -hmm. would message Sarah. We would literally one one day we were literally just reading each other the first pages of books because mm -hmm. I was so intimidated by the first page. And it's just now we're like, just get it over with. Just get the yeah. shitty first page <laughs> over yeah. with. You, you can redo it. It's just you know, like <laughs> isn't that the truth? First pages used to take me three months. Yeah, mm -hmm. you just like go over it and over it and over it. And people, you know, honestly, when you read a first page, typically you go, okay, I got to get to page two. You know, you don't yeah. just sit on the first page. But are, so you said you're not sure what you're targeting, but do you think it'll be Harlequin? I'm, I'm pushing more towards actually doing like indie published. Oh, just really? What I want to do doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily fit in with the bubble of Harlequin as much as I love them. Mm -hmm. that's not where my do you know what I mean I do yeah I do which I, I was shocked when she told me that because Harlequin is her baby but mm -hmm. I, and I was like okay Sarah whatever you want to do let's do it <laughs> yeah <laughs> I I think that I mean I think the line of my heart is the romance line I love mm -hmm. romance but with it being my first I don't know if I could write with the page count and all of that those limitations yet mm -hmm. But I also am a huge Thule publishing fan, so wow. we'll see. We shall see. <laughs> Lovely. I love it. Okay, I have to, well, you're going to have to stay in touch. Let me yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, so we have you... a little writer's group with two other friends of ours, Aaron and Nicole, and it's it's great. It's been yeah. really, really great. Having that that support, is really right? awesome. You should talk to um, Susan Lute. She wrote for... Um, she went for Silhouette Romance and then moved to Thule. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if it's a project you've already been working on, do you reread over the previous day's work before beginning for the day? I really try not to do too much of that, particularly writing on deadline, because um, if I could, I would roll around in the words forever. You know, and if so, if I if I start doing that, I begin to play with the words. I I I play with the paragraphs. I you know, I and I wind up um, not moving forward the way I need to in order to stay on deadline. Mm -hmm. okay. And Susan Lippman right now is probably like you know, snorting coffee through her nose, laughing, going, <laughs> "Have you ever stayed on deadline?" <laughs> <laughs> 
Are there any necessities you need around you while writing? Yes, yes. First, I need my phone because, mm-hmm. uh, like what you what you mentioned, I need my phone a friend card. You know, every now and again, I gotta go. I don't know what to write. You know, and we text each other. I have a group of four writer friends to actually more now, but um, core group we just text each other. Um, the other thing I need are my dogs. I, I can't write anymore unless I have snoring in the background from my dogs. It's like white noise or something. And I need, I need tea. Mm-hmm. And, and then if I'm really lucky, my daughter will come in at some point and go, I went to Dutch brothers, want some coffee. And then I have that. And then I have, I have, um, I have these spiritual books that I love that I keep beside me because I can get very caught up in, um, am I writing well enough? Am I, am I, you know, the, am I, um, writing fast enough to stay on deadline and, you know, and, and I, so I go back and I read something spiritual and I remember it's not about that. It's about the people. It's about what they, what, what my characters want, or I try to speak to myself in first person. What do I want as the characters? And so I, I try to get back down to that. So I have things around me. The other thing I have is my my J.R. Watkins lemon cream hand cream because it relaxes me and it makes me smell like a lemon cooler cookie. And <laughs> I, I used to work in a school that was, it was very high stress in that school. And I would put this stuff on my arms because it would relax me when I, when I would get just so stressed out and I'd smell my arms and I realized, you know, that's really much better to use this at home writing so people can't see me smelling my arms. <laughs> Were you a teacher? I actually I taught um phonics to okay. English language learners, which was okay. an amazing experience, but I was also a health assistant uh in a school with a lot of behavioral special needs, I would say, and or maybe they're not special needs anymore. The schools just have behavioral issues. And and that could get a little stressful for Wendy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm an aspiring teacher and I am, oh, is that right? I guess apparently I took the wrong route. I thought you, nobody ever educated me on this. I thought you got a degree in whatever subject you wanted to teach and then pursued the teaching afterwards. So now I'm like getting my master's in teaching, but that still doesn't, like I would still have to get certified. And I attended this webinar the other day and learned that like to do that program is over $4,000. And I'm wow. like, but Texas is always screaming about how they need teachers. And I'm yeah. like, this is why we're hurting for teachers because it's expensive yeah. to even get a job. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah, Isn't I was amazing? a little wrong. Now, if yeah. you become an instructional assistant or an educational assistant, can they do tuition assistance? I have. This is just that one program. It's like Texas mm. Teachers of Tomorrow mm-hmm. um, that I was looking into. So I'm, I'm going to look into some others, but I'm just yeah. assuming it's probably along the same lines. And I was just like, mm. I was baffled. I'm like, for a, a teachers are needed everywhere. And I'm like, Absolutely. well, maybe this is yeah. part of the reason why, because yeah. it's so hard. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to ask before we moved on, what are some of the books? What are some of the you know spiritual yes. books that you keep next to you while oh, you're writing? Two that I'm absolutely loving right now. One is called Directing the Heart. And it's just, it's a beautiful mindfulness practices. They're almost like Psalms. Um, and they're, they're just gorgeous. And then one is called 100 Blessings Every Day. There's a Jewish tradition that you would say 100 times a day of 
it's uh, you say Baruch Hashem and it's like, blessed are you God. But what it really is, is like saying, wow, good going, God. That is so cool. Like you see a tree and you create this triangle between you and God and the tree because you notice it, it becomes a gratitude. Yeah. It becomes special, wow. a, whole, a holy moment. So a hundred holy moments a day, basically. Wow. That is so cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing those. Do you set daily writing goals? I do. I do. Uh, five pages a day. Okay. When I'm not, when I'm not working in another job, five pages a day. I, I am not one of those um, chapter a day people or, or 10 pages a day or 10 books a year or anything like that. I've, I've tried. I cannot do that. Are there any specific programs you use to write? No. And um, <laughs> no, I, I really were lucky I'm using a computer. I, I prefer <laughs> gum wrappers and pencils. Yes. So, no programs. I feel like the more that we get to know you, this just all feels so on brand. Right? <laughs> so on brand. I prefer gun wrappers and pencils. Yeah. <laughs> So now we all know what to send Wendy Warren for the holidays. Sticky God. notes, yes. number two pencils. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, please. You find yourself stumped on a scene. Who do you call or what do you do? Well, I text my friends. I use my phone a friend card. But the most important thing for me that I have found is that I go back to my character's vision of a better life. What do they want before the world got in the way, before the world hurt them or said, you can't have this. What did they want? And I try, I try to do that in first person. You know, what do I want? Whether I'm, no matter what character it is. And, I, and once I can get back to that core yearning, then I can go after it and put obstacles in their way. Some backlist questions. Which book from your backlist do you remember laughing the most while writing? You know, I did reference my age earlier, and I think we should just stop that question at which book from your backlist do you remember? <laughs> um, I think I, th I laughed a lot when I was writing um, Making Babies, mm -hmm. and I remember laughing when I did The Boss and Miss Baxter, which was uh, a continuity. It was... Um, well, with some, I, I think it was called the family business continuity because I wanted to um, put in a Jewish bubby, a grandma, and okay. she made me laugh because it was, you know, she was, uh, she was basically my relatives all rolled into one. So that <laughs> one too, yeah. Which book from your backlist was the toughest to write? Um, I, Biding Her Time, which was part of, um, it, it was about the illegal horse. It was also continuity. Um, part of the, uh, you, when I say continuity, you know what I'm, I mean, the by series continuity. that you were writing that you wrote with other authors. With other people. Authors. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. So there were 12 authors in this particular continuity. It was about the illegal horse trade in Dubai and the wine industry in California, which made me a thousand percent wrong to be, <laughs> to be asked to be part of this. We met all 12 authors and a, and a couple of editors met in Dallas, Texas. We were at this big round table having this amazing lunch. And they went around the table and, and everybody talked about well, what they were bringing to the continuity. And people would say, well, I live in Kentucky and I've been involved with horses. I have horses or I'm a wine connoisseur. You know? And now they get to me and I'm like, 
I'm just here for the lunch, you know, I have no idea why I'm here, you know, but so it was, I had to do a lot of research and I found myself fascinated by it all, really. Mm -hmm. So it, it was a great deal of fun and enjoyment once I got past the, the hiccup of, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you become part of the continuity? Yeah. They asked. Okay. Yeah, okay. I, I just pulled up the, the series and I'm like, I'm like, oh, was, the series has like 12 books or something in it. Yeah. So yeah. Yes. Yes. I'm it always does. fascinated by continuity. It's like, how do authors like become part of them? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they just they ask and you say, yeah. And, and that's it. But you know, honestly, that I realized with that book that it's not about the trappings, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. she was a farrier. What do I know about being a farrier it was really fun to research, but it wasn't about that anyway. It was, it was really about the humanity, the human being and what she wanted and, and this, the obstacles that were in her way. Is there a book in your backlist that you feel readers have reached out to you about the most? Um, I would say probably Dakota Bride and her surprise son were two that uh, people reached out about. I think Dakota Bride, because she, you know, she has agoraphobia and she's struggling with fears uh, that come from some trauma. And yeah, I think any, you know, I, I once got a letter, this is years and years ago, on Snoopy stationery from mm -hmm. a prison. And wow. I'm... Yeah, I, I'm trying to remember what which book that was for, but I can't remember. Yeah. The Boss and Miss Baxter. I love the cover. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I want more covers like that again. I don't know. It just looks oh, so fun. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a book in your backlist that you feel taught you something about yourself as a writer? I think Biding Her Time because I realized that, you know, it, it just, you can set your characters anywhere. They can be anything. And yeah. it's all still about the universal emotion that we all feel, that, that we all want to feel. So don't be intimidated by like where the book has to be or, you know, what the job has to be. Like none of that matters. No, it really doesn't. I mean, if they ask you to be part of a continuity about the illegal horse trade in Dubai, say, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> I've but, never I mean, been there. I'm on it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just head to Dubai for the weekend. But yeah. You know, Honestly, if you even look at Bridgerton, right? Yes. It's what is it really about? Mm -hmm. It's about people who are desperate to make a connection. The real, the scene that really matters is when they're, they reach for each other's hand when they're looking at the painting. Oh, that scene. Yeah. <laughs> who can't relate to that? That's a universal emotion right there. Absolutely. So would you say that the horse trade one was probably the one that you had to do the most research for? Definitely. Yeah. Is there a book in your backlist with a character or scene that still comes across your mind? Yeah, that would be my book, Oh Baby. And that was my third book. My mom came to me one day and said, I can't, this scene's in my head. What do you think? And that's the scene that she mentioned became the first scene in that book and really sparked ideas for the rest of the book. And um, one of the reasons it, it stands out to me so much is that I was part of a critique group at the time and we, we read each other our work and I read that scene and somebody, two people actually said, mm, aren't, aren't first scenes supposed to be interesting? And I thought, 
it, I thought it was interesting. And I, and I, it was the first time that I really had to trust my gut. And I thought, you know what, that scene's interesting. I like this scene. This scene says something about who she is. And I sent it to my editor. They bought it in, uh, I, I think that book took them, you know, about a day to buy. It, it was just, it was the, the fastest turnaround that I've still ever had to this day on, on a, selling a book. And they told me they bought it because of the first scene and then used that first scene to, for new writers and said, well, try to do something like this. And that taught me so much about listening to your voice as an author. It also became my first book to win a Rita. It wow. was, it, it flew off the shelves. When it came out, I was with my mom. I would, we were, we went out of town. I was doing a workshop, a writing workshop. Um, and went to go see the book on the shelf because, you know, when you're a new author, especially, it's just, it's so thrilling to see a book on the shelf. And I never even got to see that book on the shelf because it sold so quickly, not because of the first scene, but because it was called Oh Baby and it had a pregnant woman on the cover. And that was a huge seller back then. <laughs> but it was a really darling cover. My, It was one of the last books that my mom got to read before she passed away. And the memories of that, that she was such an integral part of, of that book and of my selling that book and everything about it. It just, um, she was, she was ill, but I was with her when I won the Rita and got the call that I had won the Rita. And those memories are just so strong because I would not have been a writer without my parents. You know, yeah. they just encouraged me to do whatever meant something to me in my life. And yeah, it, it's just, so it, it holds a lot of memories. As you can tell, I'm getting choked up over a book I haven't read since 1995. Is there a book in your backlist that you were nervous about releasing? No, I don't think so. Okay. I'm, I was a little nervous about um, Moonlight Menorahs and Mistletoe because, and it hasn't released yet. Um, I mean, it's on, I think it's on pre-order, but I don't think it releases until November 30th or something. I think the 30th. Yeah. And um, a little bit concerned at first about that because I thought, okay, does it, does the fact that there is, there are, there are several Jewish characters in this book, does it, will that make it too narrow an audience? But of course that's not at all true because the, it, it, again, it just doesn't matter. The trappings of the book don't matter. What matter is that you've developed a universal feeling, a universal mm -hmm. emotion that we all understand. Yeah, absolutely. Which book in your backlist took the longest to write? They all did. Well, when you're just writing on sticky notes, that can take a while. That is true. That <laughs> you is know, true. Okay, putting together all those little gum wrappers, that's not right. easy. <laughs> you think it's easy, you try it, right? <laughs> All right, let's get into some of our round out questions. What is one book you wish you could read again for the first time? I would like to reread the first 40 pages of Saving Cece Honeycutt by, okay. um, what is her name? Beth Hoffman. It, I read that at a really low point in my life. And I remember I couldn't sleep and I was up like at 3 a.m. And I picked up this book and the first 40 pages were so achingly beautiful. They were so humane. And I just remember thinking, my gosh, okay, life can't be that bad if somebody's writing something so beautiful. 
So I'd, I'd like to read that one again and have that experience of, of those first 40 pages again. And now I probably will now that we've talked about it. <laughs> I just pulled it up. So I'm like, yep, I'm going to I'm going to go find it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, tell us about one of your under the bed stories, something you've written that will never see the light of day. <laughs> OK, <laughs> I I, before I wrote Oh Baby, I was trying to sell a book. My agent at the time and I were trying to sell a book called, that I titled The Earth Moved. And it was going to be about romance during a cataclysmic earthquake in Los Angeles. Okay. And I was trying to sell this to silhouette romance, mind you. And <laughs> my, my editor was like, kept giving it back to my agent. My agent kept saying, let's try this again. Just change it up a little bit. No, we'll try it again. And we did. We tried it over and over. And finally, she called me up and she said, hey, Wendy, can you tell your agent to stop sending me that book? <laughs> she didn't say quite that tone, but that was the tone I imagined she really wanted to use. And she said, don't you have something simple, like with babies or something? And I did. I had oh baby. But when I had mentioned that to my agent originally, he said, you know what? That's just too simple and too easy. No. And wow. so I told my editor, you know, I do have something with babies, but it's just too simple and too easy. And she said, send it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the, the earth moved, we'll never see the light of anything. <laughs> that sounds like such an adventure romance. Though. Right? <laughs> Which I would that anyway, because, you know, I don't do adventures really. So. What's a romance you've read within the past few years that reminded you of why you love the genre? You know, I would say what one that I've reread uh, was Laverle Spencer's Morning Glory. Mm. Yes, yeah. Laverle Spencer. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, why do I love it? What's not to love about that one? You know, when you think of scenes that you'll remember always, the the librarian who has on her upper lip mustache the little beads of honey that the mm. hero sees shining in the light, that... <laughs> That whole book for me is, it's why we write and why we read. It's, it is so very, very much about the glory of being a flawed human being, the beauty of our brokenness and how noticing each other, caring about each other, mends the cracks, you know, in, in, in our, our broken lives. And it's, I love that. I love her in general. But that book in particular, I just think is gorgeous. And it really stands the test of time. Who was your teenage celebrity crush? I, I should take the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is about you two that I just, I just kind of, I'm willing to tell you things. So I'll tell you, Lee Major, I'm so dating myself. Lee Major's <laughs> in the $6 million man, okay? I like the whole thing. <laughs> Angle. I just, like, bionic limbs that does it for me, I guess. I don't know. Uh, this is a judgment-free zone. This uh, is a judgment-free zone. Okay, I trust you on that because the, my whole wall was like photos of Lee Majors <laughs> and the $6 million man. Name one film you'll never stop watching. I will never stop watching the... Um, the La Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows part two. We'll never okay. stop watching that. Yeah. I, I, if only for the line when Dumbledore, you know, Snape conjures up the Lily's Patronus and his own Patronus and Dumbledore says, Lily, after all this time. And Snape says one word, 
always. And mm. that there is a love story right there in those two lines. There's an entire love story in those two lines. I just, yeah. and mm-hmm. Alan Rickman. Yes. God bless him. Oh, mm-hmm. the best. What is one hill you will wholeheartedly die on? There's a lot of hills I'd die on, I think. Um, <laughs> Give us whatever hill you are willing to share. <laughs> you know, I, my family is uh, a blend of ethnicities, my immediate family, uh, a blend of ethnicities and religions. And I would die on the hill that says we have a right to be who we are without changing to please someone or, or a society. We have the right to worship as we choose and to respect that and, to, and we have and we, and a need to respect other people. And we have a right, um, I am white, my daughters are brown. They feel when they go out in the world, the difference. Um, I have felt the difference in, in being Jewish when people don't know that I'm Jewish and say things that they probably wish they hadn't said once I tell them I am Jewish. It's, you know, I, I will die on the hill that says we're all worthy of each mm-hmm. other's respect and consideration. Absolutely. Yeah. What is one of your favorite romance tropes to read? You know, I honestly don't have a favorite romance trope. I, um, I just like a great story. Mm-hmm. about people who are striving for something. Can you, sh- and finally, can you share with us what you are working on next? I am working on book two in the Holiday Oregon series. So it's actually the character, um, uh, and again, uh, Susan and, and Gail, I think, too, asked me to write um, Nikki's story. She's the, uh, the heroine's best friend in Moonlight Manors and Mistletoe. So her story will come up next. Okay. And Gail's looking for, uh, I think she won a book about adoption and Nikki is adopted. Okay. So, yeah. I was wondering, I was like, is this going to be in the same world of Moonlight Menorahs and Mistletoe? Okay. Now we know we're getting some more. So what do you know, like what's the holiday time frame we're looking? We are looking at spring and summer. So we're going to have a little bit of Memorial Day, a little bit of Juneteenth and a whole lot of July 4th. I'm not, I shouldn't say a whole lot of July 4th. There will be, there will be July 4th. There's, uh, it's set in a small town holiday, Oregon, which celebrates every holiday. And um, there's uh, a war between two small towns, the town of Holiday and the town of Worst, which is right next to it. And they, there's, um, in the book, they're, they're all training for the small town, uh, Pacific Northwest small town Olympics. So that'll be part of it, kind of a summer Olympics kind of thing. Thank you, Wendy Warren, for that. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, And lastly, can you tell everyone where they can follow you online? Yeah. um, Right now, I'm at wendywarrenauthor.com and also um, Facebook. And I will be doing more Instagram because I'm told I must. I, (laughs) I, it's, it's such a time suck, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, it is. Or is it just me? But it really is. It's, yeah. We're with yeah. you on that hill. We are with yeah. you yeah, on right. that hill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time with us. This has been 
amazing. Um, I just cannot wait to share this chat with listeners. Um, So listeners, make sure you check the show notes. We will have the links to where you can keep up with the incredible Wendy Warren, as well as where you can find her books. Please keep a look out for our next book from her, Moonlight Menorahs and Mistletoe and whatever (laughs) else she has in the works. We know we're getting a book that's set. Is it set to come out in spring or summer? Which one? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know when they, I imagine they're going to marry it to the time in the, in the book, but I'm not positive. Okay. Okay. Well, we know we have another book coming out listeners. So keep an eye out for that one as well. And Sarah and I will talk with you all in our next episode. Have a lovely day, everybody. 